Well, I've titled this message, Beholding His Glory. Beholding His Glory. And if you want to turn with me, you can turn with me to John chapter 1, verse 14. Although the verse will be on the screen. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory. The glory of the only begotten of the Father. Full of grace and truth. Let me read that again. And the word became flesh, and he dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Now I'd like to read a story to the kids. So parents, please encourage your children to listen and to have a look at the pictures that are on the screen. And the story is titled, Jesus' Christmas Party by Nicholas Allen. There was nothing the innkeeper liked more than a good night's sleep. But that night there was a knock at the door. No room, said the innkeeper. But we're tired and have traveled through night and day. There's only the stable around the back. Here's two blankets. Sign the register. So they signed it, Mary and Joseph. Then he shut the door, climbed the stairs, got into bed, and went to sleep. But then later, there was another knock at the door. Excuse me, said Joseph, I wonder if you could lend us another smaller blanket. There, one smaller blanket, said the innkeeper. Then he shut the door, climbed the stairs, got into bed, and went to sleep. But then a bright light woke him up. That's all I need, said the innkeeper. He went outside and saw the light from the bright star flooding over the inn. Then he shut the door, climbed the stairs, drew the curtains, got into bed, and went to sleep. But then there was another knock at the door. We are three shepherds. We've come to see Mary and Joseph. Round the back, said the innkeeper. Then he shut the door, climbed the stairs, got into bed, and went to sleep. But then there was yet another knock at the door. <laughs> we are three kings. We've come round the back, said the innkeeper. He slammed the door, climbed the stairs, got into bed, and went to sleep. But then a chorus of singing woke him up. Right, that does it. So he got out of bed, stomped down the stairs, threw open the door, went round the back, stormed into the stable, and was just about to speak when... Shh, whispered everybody. You're awake, the baby. <laughs> baby, said the innkeeper. Yes, a baby this night has been born. Oh, said the innkeeper, looking crossly into the manger. And just at that moment, suddenly, amazingly, his anger seemed to fly away. Oh, said the innkeeper, isn't he lovely? 
In fact, he thought he was so special, he woke up all the guests at the end so that they could come and have a look at the baby too. So no one got much sleep that night. The end. You know, the poor innkeeper, he gets a lot of flack. There's actually no evidence in the Bible that the innkeeper saw Jesus. But it's actually not impossible. Perhaps he did get to behold the glory of God in the face of Christ. Perhaps he did. But Mary and Joseph did. They beheld his glory. And so did the shepherds. And when the wise men arrived later on, they too beheld his glory. Let's read our key text again and ponder on this. John 1 verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father. Full of grace and truth. So my first point is, and the word became flesh. This is called the incarnation. God in the flesh. It's called the incarnation. And the Christmas story is often so familiar to us. We hear it year after year, and we read it often as we read the Gospels, that sometimes we can read it so quickly, we can fail to grasp the magnitude of it. Of the fact that God became man and dwelt amongst his people. It is easy to focus on the sheep and the shepherds and the angels and the baby in the manger without focusing on the truth that this baby in the manger is the creator of the world. He is the savior of the world. Let me read Luke chapter 2. Verses 10 to 12 again. I read it earlier and uh, it reads as follows. But the angel said to them, that's to the shepherds, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find what? A baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. It's quite wonderful that this had been prophesied many centuries before. In Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6, we read the following. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Which of those words there resonate in your heart? Which of those stand out for you? Maybe you just want to take that with you into the rest of the day. Maybe it's the fact that he's called Wonderful. Maybe that he's the counselor, if you're in need of counsel. Maybe you just love the fact that he's the mighty God. The Everlasting Father. Or perhaps it's the Prince of Peace that really sits and resonates in your heart. Now, Matthew chapter 1, verse 23, confirms this incredible miracle. The fact that the Word became flesh 
the incarnation. It says the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son. And they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. There's a question that is most crucial for each one of us to answer. It's a question more important than any other question. A question that can affect every single area of our lives. This question is the same question that Jesus asked his disciples in Matthew 16 verse 15. Here, here it is. Who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Can you picture Jesus coming up to you and saying your name and saying, who do you say I am? What would your answer to him be? Can you remember how Peter, the disciple, answered him? These were his words. He said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. What a great answer. And Jesus replied to him saying, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. You know, the Christmas story helps each one of us to answer this question. The Christmas story. As we ponder again on the birth of Jesus, it helps each one of us to answer. We believe that Jesus is the Son of God. That the Holy Spirit came upon a virgin named Mary, and that the power of the Most High God overshadowed her, and that she conceived a son. We believe that a time came where Jesus was born. And that as a baby, Jesus became fully human, flesh and blood, while at the same time remaining fully God. Fully human, fully God. And we believe that God sent his son Jesus to earth because he loved each one of us. That's why Jesus came, because God loved us. And he knew that we needed to be saved. So we realized that Jesus was on a mission. And his mission was to save us. One day he was going to become the atoning sacrificial lamb who would die for our sins. Listen again to the angel's message. How prophetic it is. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah. Messiah means savior. He is the Messiah the Lord, and dwelt among us. This is my second point. Let this sink into your heart. Jesus dwelt among us. He lived on earth for 33 years. That is a long time, if you think about it. How many of you have turned 30 in the last two or three years? Any people that are recently turning 30? If I had to ask any of you to tell me a bit of a story of your life, uh, you'd be able to tell me quite a lot of things that have happened in your 30 years because 30 years is a significant amount of time and a lot of things um, can happen. We can experience many kinds of experiences in 30 years. You see, Jesus dwelt as a human being here on this earth for 33 years. When he was a baby, he was dependent on his parents in every way, completely dependent on Mary and Joseph. As a toddler and a young child... He would have explored his world and he would have needed to learn how to read and write and ride a donkey. I don't think bicycles were invented way back then. As a young man, he would have been trained as a carpenter. And then he would have experienced what it was like to really work for a living. Now, I wonder at which birthday Jesus received his first tool 
box with a set of carpentry tools. You wonder how old he was. I remember when Colin was three years old, he had a Bob the Builder birthday party, and uh, um, his mom went off to the toy store to go get him his first tool set. So she came home with this plastic tool set and plastic hammer and plastic saw and plastic pliers. And uh, we hadn't communicated all that well because I came back from Builder's Warehouse with the real deal. You know, a real hammer, a little hacksaw with a metal blade. And, uh, you know, and uh, so you can see, you know, if the mom buys the tools or if the dad does, but he's got all his fingers still. <laughs> but at the age of 30, something happened in Jesus' life. Things shifted. At the age of 30, he stepped into ministry. He was baptized, the Holy Spirit came upon him and empowered him for ministry, and he began to preach about the kingdom of God, and wherever he went, he demonstrated the power of the kingdom. He healed the sick, he cast out demons, he raised the dead, he gave sight to the blind. Incredible things happened as he revealed his glory, as God as man. He dwelt among us. You know, one of the most wonderful things about this passage is that the word dwelt is the same word that they use in the Old Testament for tabernacle. And you'll remember in the Old Testament that God asked his people to build him a tabernacle. And his reason for that was he wanted to dwell with his people. The only thing is that he dwelt in the Holy of Holies. And no one could go into the Holy, Holy, Holy of Holies except the high priest. And the high priest could go in only once a year. So by and large, the manifest presence of God was inaccessible for the average person in the Old Testament. Can you see why when Simeon and Anna met Jesus, when he was presented in the temple, only a few days old, how incredible this was for Simeon and Anna. The Bible says that Simeon was a devout man, very holy man. And the Bible says that Anna lived in the temple, day and night in the temple, worshiping the Lord, praying day and night. So these are two very devout people. Yet neither Simeon nor Anna had been into the Holy of Holies. Neither of them had gone right into the presence of God. Neither of them. And here they are in his presence. This is far greater than going into the Holy of Holies. Jesus right in front of them. God in the flesh. And they can see him. If you read the Gospels and you read what Simeon said and you read what Anna said, you can just see the incredible joy because they recognized that they were right in the presence of God himself. If I had to forward 33 years... And we ponder again on what happened when Jesus died for us on the cross. You'll remember that the veil in the temple was torn from top to bottom. It was a very thick curtain, very large curtain, and it just tore when Jesus died on the cross. It was symbolic of the fact that his presence was available to all of us. All of us could access his presence he dwelt with us. He wanted to be with us. He wanted to engage with us. I personally am so grateful for this. I'm so grateful that my spiritual eyes have been opened. That there's no veil keeping me from God's presence. 
that day by day I can talk to the Lord and I can hear His voice and I can follow His leading. I read a story the other day about an agnostic newspaper reporter in the 18th century. It was Christmas time in Boston in the United States of America and he saw three little girls standing in front of a shop window that was filled with toys. And as he watched them, he realized that one of the little girls was blind and that her two friends were busy explaining to her everything that they had seen, everything that they could see. And he realized, perhaps for the first time, how difficult it is to explain to someone that can't see that which is visible. It was so difficult for these friends to explain to this little blind girl what they could see. Anyway, he decided to write a newspaper article and the front page of the newspaper was this story about these girls and he published it. Well, two weeks later, the same reporter attended a D.L. Moody meeting. Now, D.L. Moody was a famous evangelist and when the reporter went to the meeting, he didn't go with a good motive to go and learn or to go and receive. He went with the express motive to try and catch this evangelist in an inconsistency, to disprove him. So as he sat there, how surprised he was when D.R. Moody quoted his very article in his sermon. And so this is what happened. D.R. Moody used the news story of the children to illustrate a truth. And he said this, he said, Just as the blind girl couldn't visualize the toys, so an unsaved person can't see Christ in all his glory. It just can't see him for who he truly is. It's amazing for us who have had our eyes open, we've put our faith in Jesus, the veils come off, and we, we can just see Jesus for who he is. We know he's the Messiah. We know he's the Savior of the world. We know he's God with us. We know he's the mighty God. We know he's the wonderful counselor. We know these things. Our eyes have been opened. Perhaps you're here today and you haven't really been able to fully answer that question with Jesus asking you, who do you say I am? You haven't got an answer really to that question. And perhaps when you consider the Christmas story, it all still seems very mysterious and complicated. I want to encourage you to just pray one prayer to the Lord today and just say to him, Heavenly Father, please open my eyes. Please really open my eyes so that I can see Jesus for who he is. I believe that if you pray that, the Lord will do that. The veil will lift. You'll be able to see Jesus as the Son of God, and everything can begin to change. My third point is, and we beheld his glory. See, when our eyes are open, our spiritual eyes are open, then we can behold his glory. In the Amplified Bible it reads, and we beheld his glory, his honor and his majesty. The dictionary defines glory as magnificence, splendor, grandeur, majesty, and great beauty. And you can think about how wonderfully these words describe Jesus. Now in Matthew chapter 2 verse 9 to 11, we read about the wise men and what happened when they beheld the glory of Jesus. It says, after they had heard the king, that's King Herod, they went on their way and the star that they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed 
On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down, and they worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures, and they presented him with gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. The wise men beheld the glory of God in the face of Jesus. They saw his honor and his majesty and his grandeur. And their response was to bow down and worship. Response that would be natural for each one of us to sing songs of praise and to be so grateful for who he is. Can you remember how in the Old Testament people couldn't see the face of God and live? They couldn't see the face of God and live. Not even Moses. Not even Moses. At one point, Moses said to the Lord, he said, show me your glory. And the Lord answered, it's found in Exodus 33, verse 19 to 23. The Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. Then he said this, You cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. Then the Lord said, There is a place near me where you may stand on a rock. When my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft in the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand, and you will see my back, but my face must not be seen. Yet here is Jesus, fully God and fully human, and people can gaze on him and see his glory. John, the beloved apostle who wrote the Gospel of John and who penned this verse, our key verse today, um, he had experienced the glory of the Lord because he had walked with Jesus. He had been an eyewitness to Jesus. Can you remember the wedding at Cana in Galilee where Jesus changed water into wine? Can you remember that? Listen to John chapter 2, verse 11. This, the first of his miraculous signs, Jesus performed at Cana in Galilee. He thus revealed his glory, his glory as the Son of God, and his disciples put their faith in him. John also saw Jesus' glory on the Mount of Transfiguration, where the Bible says his face was as bright as the sun, and his clothes were as white as a flash of lightning. Incredible picture that, this bright, radiant Jesus transfigured in their presence. In Luke chapter 9, verse 32, we read about that. I'm reading from the Amplified Bible. Now Peter and those with him, that's James and John, were weighed down with sleep. So they were really tired, they were sleepy. But when they fully awoke, they saw his glory, his splendor, his majesty, and his brightness. This is the Jesus that we serve. We as believers in Jesus are very privileged because we get to experience and reflect the glory of the Lord. Jesus said, if I go and return to my Father, my Father will send the Holy Spirit. He will dwell within you. And listen to the scripture found in 2 Corinthians 3 verse 17 to 18. Now the Lord is the Spirit. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory of being transformed into His likeness with ever-increased glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. 
Now, in a few days' time, we're going to be stepping into a new year, and people often like to come up with New Year's resolutions. Many of them are very natural type of resolutions, like getting fitter and healthier and losing some weight and all those kind of things. But here would be a New Year's prayer that would be worthwhile praying. And it would be a simple prayer that says, Lord, I would like to reflect your glory in an ever-increasing way. Holy Spirit, you live within me. I, I want to reflect your glory in an ever-increasing way. Now, my final point is titled, Full of Grace and Truth. Full of Grace and Truth. I read earlier about the wise men who came bearing gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. But this passage in John tells us about two gifts that we receive from the Lord. And they are His grace and His truth. His grace and His truth. And these are far more precious than gold and frankincense and myrrh. Jesus was, and He still is today, full of grace and truth. It is often said that if you bump into someone, you get to know what is really inside of them. And just under the surface, many people are wrestling with hurts and with anger and with frustrations of all kinds. When you bump into them, they're quick to get offended, to judge or to become critical. Yesterday as I drove back from the shops, uh, I was just a little bit slow uh, taking off from the traffic light and the lady behind me was, um, I bumped her, not physically in the car, but I could just see that my slowness was not what she needed yesterday. And so sometimes we can have these things that boil within us. And as people bump us or they interact with us, they come out. But if you bump into Jesus, you know what's going to come out? Grace and truth. Those are the things that are going to come out of Jesus when you interact with him. Grace is God's unmerited favor shown to those who deserve judgments. If we could earn our salvation, then we wouldn't need God's grace. But Jesus is full of grace. We can come to Him no matter what we have done in our lives, no matter what you have done. You can come to Jesus because He longs to be gracious towards you. This is why Jesus came to earth. He came to save you and me. And we can only be saved by His grace. I've got a book titled, The Deeper Experiences of Famous Christians. And it's got some biographies of um, men and women of God through the ages. People like Fenelon and Madame Guyon and D.L. Moody, John Bunyan and a whole bunch of others. And while they did incredible exploits for the Lord, some of them were used as salt and light in a whole society to bring revival. Incredible ministers of God. All of them had something in common. They all got a testimony of the day that they were saved by God's grace. And some of them had incredibly broken lives. Some of them had incredibly wicked lives until they met Jesus. And things changed for them. And then they began to serve Him for the rest of their days, doing great exploits in His name. Their lives were transformed by the amazing grace of Jesus. Now, Jesus is also full of truth. He, he's not only full of truth, the Bible says He is the truth. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. You see, truth points 
to God's character. He is absolute truth. And as the God of truth, His righteous standard calls us to a life of truth. That is why we get convicted when we sin. We just know something, some, we shouldn't have done that. We, we know that. It's because of His righteous standards, because of His truth. Now, Jesus gets this mix between grace and truth. He gets, it, he gets it so perfectly. He gets it so right. Can you remember the story of the Samaritan woman at the well? Can you remember that story? Jesus is passing through Samaria and his disciples going to town to find something to eat. Jesus is tired. He sits down at the well and a Samaritan woman comes and he asks her for something to drink. And he strikes up a conversation with her and he asks her this question. He says, he says um, uh, tell me about your husband. And she answers, she says, I, I, don't, I don't have a husband. Listen to the truth. John 4, verse 17 to 18. This is what Jesus said to her. You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. And then he extends grace to her. And he tells her about the kingdom of God. And he reveals to her that he is the Messiah, the Savior. That lady and a large number of the people in that town came to faith in Jesus that day. Truth and grace. You see, we need the Lord's truth and the Lord's grace to be saved. Because when His truth reveals an area of our life that is not righteous, we can respond with repentance. We can get on our knees before the Lord. We can say we're sorry. But then we can look to Him expectant of grace and we can rise up from our knees and we can rise up cleansed and washed and forgiven ready to serve him for the rest of our lives we need god's grace and his truth not only to get saved but we need his grace and his truth to live a victorious christian life so in conclusion we have the wonderful privilege of beholding christ's glory jesus is the son of god he is Emmanuel, God with us. He is the Savior of the world. He is the Messiah. When we gaze on Him, and we, 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 we keep ourselves captivated by Him, by His glory and His majesty and His splendor, and as we encounter Him, then we will continue to experience His grace and His truth. So let's allow the birth of Jesus and the glory of Jesus to impact our lives. Let's walk in the freedom that he has purchased for us. Let's treat others with the same grace that we have received from him. Let's be gracious to people. And let's worship him and be his witnesses all the days of our lives. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we are so taken by your great love for us. We marvel at the birth of your Son and your plan of salvation. Jesus, we thank you that you were willing to leave your throne in heaven and come into this world and be so vulnerable. Take on not just human form, but even the frailty of a baby. And we thank you that you lived a life of complete righteousness. And you taught us how to live. And you showed us how to live. 
You lived for your kingdom. And you taught about the kingdom. And you demonstrated the kingdom. Lord, I pray for each person here. I pray, Lord God, that our lives will be changed because of you. I pray that we will reflect the glory of the Lord in ever-increasing ways. Father, may we be salt and may we be light to those people around us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.